We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome to episode 229 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and the original plan for today was to speak with Frances about the different Barcelonas we've seen this week, one from La Liga and one from the Champions League, and we will get to that briefly at the end. But in the light of the passing of Diego Maradona, I thought that it was more fitting to bring on friend of the show, Roy Nemmer, an expert on all things Argentine football, to discuss the legend that is and will always be Diego Maradona. Roy, thanks so much for taking the time today on so short notice. Thank you for, for having me. I, I Look, it's always a pleasure being on the show. I just kind of wish it was under different circumstances. Yeah, for sure. As I said, today we are going to talk about Diego Maradona. We're going to talk about the good. We're going to talk about the bad. We're going to focus on his time at Barca. But obviously so much of his legend came not at the Camp No, which is what most players can't say for their careers. But Maradona was somebody that even outside of his playing career, was certainly a legend in every sense of the word. So, Roy, jumping right into Diego Maradona, I just said it. He was complicated. Quite a few players have won the World Cup. Quite a few legendary players have turned into managers. The game has seen quite a few players with a great left foot. A few players have won Serie A twice. Tons of players have won the Copa del Rey. 29 players have scored more than 50 career goals. Maradona scored 354. Yet none of those accomplishments even begin to explain what Maradona was, especially what he means to Argentina or the rest of the football world at large. And I think that's where we should start with this conversation. What is Maradona to football in Argentina? Everything. Literally everything. He's your crazy uncle. He's your best friend. He's your dysfunctional cousin he's 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 everything he's everything rolled into one um he came from poverty you know uh, i think everyone knows that he didn't come from you know particularly rich family came from poverty 
made his breakthrough at Argentinos Juniors, went to Boca, Barcelona, everything. Everyone knows that story. And the, his, the, the love of the country towards him uh, came in 1986. And, and I'd argue possibly even the peak was even before they won the World Cup because of that infamous match against England, the hand of God and and the war that was, you know, that came before it uh, between the two countries, between Argentina and England. He, he, I'm, I'm honestly at a loss for words. He, he's everything. He was everything. He had that larger than life feel to him. Uh, I remember, you know, in the early 2000s, I believe it was 2004, he got hospitalized and, and he was, you know, he came very close to dying and he was in the hospital and, you know, people all over the world were praying for him, you know, obviously specifically more so in Argentina and, and in certain region in, in Italy, obviously. Uh, and then he just, you know, came through it and then everyone, you know, well, oh, drug abuse, oh, alcohol abuse, oh, this, oh, that. And no one really thought that they would come where he would actually die. Uh, where he would just pass away. And even earlier this month, it was about, what, two weeks ago, he went through surgery and people were like, oh, this is it. And they're like, no, it's not it. It's Maradona. He'll live, you know. He's only 60. And then here we are. 2020 throws us the ultimate curveball. And you're like, well, here you go. Here's one last hurrah before the year ends. And it's, uh, this one's tough. This one is a very difficult pill to swallow yeah certainly i think the, the phrase to use would be that we never expect the immortals to be mortal and maradona for someone still living and pele very much the same way for these legends that are still alive that they're already immortalized for millions of millions of people and so to understand and try to accept their mortality certainly brings up a lot of questions and it's, it's hard to understand because for maradona still being alive and still being just 60 his whole life has been recognized and understood and analyzed hundreds and thousands of times already before he was ever passing on when he was still in his 40s and 50s we've gone it, we've gone on it over and over and over again now Roy you mentioned in in that answer that 1986 the World Cup that's how I think fans the world over if you didn't know about Maradona at Boca Juniors or Barca or Napoli or even his career prior to that with Argentina the 1986 World Cup and particularly as it usually goes with the game an introduction and we'll say, how do we say this? Putting one over on British football is a good way to get yourself recognized on the global stage. And that's exactly what Maradona did. Uh, not only was the goal, but also with the hand of God goal, as well we mentioned, two radically different situations, but two that were always going to be remembered in, in, in a similar light. Though where I do want you to just give a little bit more context for some of our younger listeners even, or those who may not have been paying attention to the World Cup in 1986, We'll say all the stakes that were going on off the field for the 1986 World Cup between England and Argentina. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, look, geographically speaking, there, prior to that, you know, there was no real footballing rivalry between the two nations. I think that met once at the 1966 World Cup in terms of an actual uh, official match, uh, which ended with with England winning, and I believe it was one nil. So, in terms of the history itself, you know, well, football-wise, there wasn't much. The actual history comes between the, the governments, you know, the, the actual countries, uh, and it was in the early '80s where uh, there was a war. Uh, so, for those you know probably unaware, really, really quickly, 
you know, there's the islands, the Falklands, the Falklands in, in English, Las Malvinas in Spanish. So the Falklands next to, to Argentina. And Argentinians say, well, Las Malvinas son Argentinas. Like, they, you know, the Malvinas are, are, they belong to us. And the English or the Brits say, no, they belong to us. So there was actually a war that happened, a physical war. Two countries, two armies went to war a couple of years right before that World Cup. And uh, obviously, without going into details or into politics or anything like that, you could kind of get an idea in terms of a superpower who won the war, or who got the upper hand on the war. So when that match, when that quarterfinal match at the Azteca Stadium in Mexico was about to be played, all eyes were, hey, Argentina, England, these two countries were actually just at war a couple of years ago. And I believe it was actually Maradona himself who said it. Said it uh, he said this after the match. He said, look, for us, it was just, we just wanted to go out there and play a match. You know, we didn't try and think of too much. And then at the same time, he said, well, we were also thinking about you know, the Argentinian boys and teenagers and men, men and women you know, who died during the war. So he tried to play it down, but then at the same time, kind of, well, not really, because that played a role. You know, he said, we wanted to play a match. We wanted to play a match, but at the same time, we thought about, you know, our, our fellow countrymen who, who died during the war. And when he scored the Hand of God goal, he said, he said, uh, I believe he said it to uh, Gary Lineker. It was a documentary in 2006 where he said it felt like pickpocketing the English. You know, scoring a goal with your hand at a World Cup quarterfinals and against England too, with everything that just happened, he said it felt like I pickpocketed England. And then, <laughs> how could I put this? What made it even better was the fact that, you know, people complained. Well, he scored with his hand, and it was illegal, and this and that. Sure, okay, he managed to score with his hand, but go see a couple of minutes later what he did to England, where he he dribbled past everyone. You know, and and for those probably unaware. And, and or probably probably more of Messi's generation. Well, Messi's goal against Getafe in the Copa del Rey in 2007, Maradona did that in the World Cup quarterfinal against England in the blistering heat at the Azteca Stadium, where the grass was like three four inches high. <laughs> uh, so you know that that's where uh, all of that come from, and, and that's where the mystique of Maradona really, really grew and 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 the confidence, and he just he was the best player in the world. Yeah, and, and we know that even with that story, that Maradona clearly had that angel on his shoulder and he had that devil on his shoulder as well because he was a man of the people. And I know that with the idea of populism, and again, we're not getting into politics here, but these kind of deity-like figures, they wind up having such importance in, in terms of just being an inspiration to so many people. And those who are growing up in poverty in Argentina and even around the world in poverty, they look at Diego Maradona and they say, you know, even though they don't have this, his left foot, they say, that can be me. That's somebody that looks like me. And that's somebody to say, hey, I have become this great success. I'm loved around the world. I have all this money, but I'm still like you. I still remember who I was when I was in poverty and I was like you. And he winds up being an inspiration to all these people. And I think that's what makes this conversation about him even on the, the, the very day that he passes, where he's lionized in the word. I, that's the word I keep coming back to. And I know I'm stating the obvious when I say that people, myself included, talking about Maradona and all the joy that he brought to the world without somehow having to reckon and almost counterbalance that with all the ways that he as an individual was also so, so, so problematic. And the reasons why we always knew that the brightest star wouldn't last so long. But I do think it is possible to do both, especially today, 
where from his relationship with his children to his well-known substance abuse issues, his mercurial personality, and I, I think the worst stain on it might be some of the characters that he let into his world. There was a lot wrong with the larger-than-life figure that was Maradona. And I love what has been made clear through recent documentaries and films that have been done with him in the recent years, that idea that Maradona and Diego were almost two different people. And if that's what it takes to remember the good and the bad, then I guess that's the way we're going to have to discuss it. You can be a terrible role model while also inspiring and being deservedly, deservedly beloved by millions around the world and be this legend. And I, I think that's, I, and even going forward in his, uh, his legacy will obviously live on eternally in the sports world. And I think that winds up being the challenge and will forever be the challenge about how you talk about Maradona because the, the great good that he did as this inspiration to so many people and the way that even looking at his manager, his managerial career where he would jump around from place to place and it was really never about the spotlight for Maradona when he would go to these different, his recent stops, whether it was to Mexico or back to Argentina, he wasn't really even following the dollar signs. He was seemingly following this little voice in his head that said, hey, continue your life. On at that place go to this place this is your new destination to spread football in this way and to get to know these new people and you could always tell that regardless of what was happening behind the scenes and again we go back over and over and over again to the well-known substance abuse issues that that winds up being so much of his legacy of what he was that you know I'm not going to bring up Messi just yet We're, we'll get to Messi in a second for all of what Maradona was uh, even Messi has kind of admitted that Messi isn't Messi without Maradona and you, you're going to speak more to this in a second, but that to Messi, Maradona is Messi. And it's an incredible thought to think. And people also say that Maradona, and he's admitted it himself, if he was clean that whole time, his whole career, his playing career, if he had been clean, he'd be Messi before Messi got to be Messi. I know it sounds so trite, but I think I'm going to let you suss all that out after this break. This episode of the Barcelona podcast is brought to you by Fanatis. You know, sometimes you're in the middle of something, a family event, a road trip, well, not right now, but a work, doctor's appointment, bathroom break, shopping spree, whatever it may be, while Barcelona is playing in the Liga. We know that for you, like us, football is priority number one, and missing a single minute of Messi and his magic is unforgivable. That's when you can grab your phone, tablet, or even your TV and fire up Fanatis. Fanatis gives you a front row seat to watch the Liga and Messi for just $7.99 a month. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Join at Fanatis.com. But there is down in the description, we have a special link. And hit that link and sign up for Fanatis as those subscription companies are getting more and more and more expensive. And there are add-ons and all those different things. It's just $7.99 a month up front for Fanatis. So again, you can join us. Just hit that link down in the description below. Big help on that. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. 
So Roy, uh, again, for all the good and for all the bad, how do you think we're going to wind up speaking about Maradona's legacy? And I guess now would be the moment, in particular through the lens of what was all those demons that he carried with him and how that does make his legacy so much different than what we see from, from I mean, we'll say the likes of Messi or the likes of Pele. Yeah, I think it's unfair. Uh, I think he lived uh, his life constantly under a microscope. Everyone makes mistakes. Uh, every, and everyone's mistakes varies, right? I make mistakes, you make mistakes. Obviously, no one's perfect. The thing with Maradona was he had a he constantly had a camera on him 24-7 at, at any club he played for and even later on after he retired. So the smallest flaw was put under a microscope was examined was they they would make a documentary out of it and it, you know they would it, it, it was incredible so I, I think he, you know did he have flaws yes was it drugs alcohol uh, children whatever definitely yes I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to defend him in any way shape or form. but that was his personal life you get what i mean and i think sometimes it kind of gets to the point where you have to separate the man from the athlete you know, I'm not condoning what he did in, you know, in his personal life. Maybe if I was in his shoes, I would have done worse. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it would have been better. I don't know. But I always go back and say, it's kind of like, um, you know, how, how could I put this? When people say, oh, well, Maradona wasn't good because he did drugs and he was a bad person. Okay, fine. But how was he on the pitch? Because at the end of the day, I think you have to kind of, separate how someone is off the pitch and on the pitch uh same way you could kind of probably look at you know rock stars oh well this rock star is great but look at the amount of drugs he does off off stage yeah but what does that change something when he's on stage you know what i mean you have to be able to separate someone's personal life from them being an athlete let's say or, or a musician or, or anything and for maradona because his life was constantly under a microscope it was always you know, it, it was always scrutinized and, oh, he did this or he said this. But put all of that aside, him on a pitch, unrivaled, unparalleled for a better part of 30 years, 30, 40 years, up until probably Messi came around. And for those, you know, wondering, oh, well, Maradona did cocaine. Yeah, I, I personally have never done cocaine. But doing cocaine does not make you a better player. Does not make you a better athlete. Maradona had his demons, he had his injuries and everything. And I absolutely adore Messi. I, I, I'll go as far as saying I probably worship the ground he walks on, <laughs> which might be a little bit extreme. But Maradona, a clean Maradona with the proper care and the proper people around him and everything, I have no doubt would have been Messi before Messi became Messi, you know, to use the, the words that you used. And that's not a knock on on Lionel that's not a knock on him at all by any means it's just a testament to how good Maradona was when you watch him in 1986 people say he won the World Cup alone I'll argue and say he had a very very good supporting cast around him but that team doesn't go as far in that tournament without him that team does not make the 1990 World Cup final without him that team doesn't get the boost that they needed in 1994 without him. Napoli did, are, will never touch a Scudetto title without him. He brought so much not only to the teams that he played for, but for the sport itself. And that 
despite all his problems off the pitch, just shows you how good he was, how talented he was. And if someone is not able to differentiate Diego the person from Maradona the athlete, then all I can say is, I'm sorry, you're missing out on arguably the best player to ever play the game. Yeah, I agree with that. And I I think you lay out why it's almost a, we'll say it's lazy or cannon fodder to go through the differences and and greatness comparisons between Messi and Maradona, because that is the the, the very difference that that we're kind of laying out with who he was off the field as well. That Messi, what he's been doing for as long as he's been doing it is incredible and unmatched. I mean, we're never going to see a player with this peak of greatness that we're seeing from Messi ever again. But with Maradona, I mean, I was thinking even as as you were saying that, and I think of, I enjoy comedy. And so I I think of my favorite comedian, Chris Farley, who died in the late 90s, where, I mean, everything that that man touched, every time he was on TV, every episode of Saturday Night Live was the funniest thing you've ever seen. And for Chris Farley, it's the same thing with these larger-than-life characters who are intense with their craft, whether it was comedy with Farley, whether it was football with Maradona, they are as intense with their craft and their passion as they are in life off the field. And that winds up just consistently needing to have that that shine always in every part of your life, every minute. Uh, It can be addictive. And so that's why we see over and over again, to me, Maradona is just like the, the, I mean, the, the guys who I, I love so much in the Chris Farley and those stars that wind up, we'll, we'll say dying too soon because the intensity of which they live life and the passion in which they live life, I mean, it, it's never turned off and it's an exhausting reality. And, and so you can almost say that with, as you said in your first answer, that the idea that Maradona even made 60 is surprising when you think about the intensity of which he lived every single day of his life. And yes, he had that camera on him all the time. And that does define his legacy. And that's why I think, once again, comparing, and this will be the last we do of this, comparing Messi and Maradona is kind of useless for that reason because you have this this bright shining star in Messi that has shined for so long and given us so many years and now going more than, we're, ta- we're going to be talking about 15, 20 years when you're talking about how great he's been for so long. And with Maradona, as quick as he was on our field and on our TVs, he was gone just in, in, in such a quick moment for all the different things that, that followed him throughout his career. And those are the things I want to talk to you about now. We're going to really talk about him on the field, particularly at Barcelona, because for Maradona, as much as you want to talk about what kind of kept him off the field at Napoli and where he really was at his, his greatest club uh, performances, it was a different game as well. So comparing Messi to Maradona on the field in the same way where you're trying to compare Kubala with Messi is almost fruitless in ways because you're comparing the different games. And in the 80s, it was an entirely different game. So to set it all up, we were discussing his career in Argentina and you had said he came over from Boca Juniors. It was then Barca manager Cesar Luis Menotti, who was manager of Argentina when they won the 1978 World Cup, helps to bring Maradona to Catalonia from Boca Juniors after the 1982 World Cup for a then world record fee of 5 million euros. And just in that first season, that's when the results really came, beating Real Madrid, getting the standing ovation that he did. And we saw years later, we have footage of Ronaldinho getting that standing ovation, but Maradona was the one who got that Santiago Bernabeu standing ovation first, wind up beating Real Madrid for the Copa del Rey, and then Athletic Club at the height of their powers in the 80s. They were great in the 30s, and the 80s really were the heyday of Athletic Club. Again, they wind up beating them for the Spanish Super Cup. And that's what Barcelona were paying that world record fee for, knowing they were going to win trophies with Maradona. So this is even before he really became a legend at, 
at Napoli and his star exploded at the 1986 World Cup. The number 10 was already a player who could win you trophies. But at Barcelona, the injuries and the illnesses were the problem. And I, I don't know if you want to immediately skip to the end of his time at Barcelona, Roy, but certainly you can speak about some of the glory he had before we'll say everything went wrong. It wasn't necessarily, unlike in Napoli, where a lot of it was kind of shooting himself in the foot with his life off the field. At Barcelona, it was just 1980s nasty football. It was injuries as well as a bout of hepatitis and that injury, that illness rather, winds up having a major impact on his time at Barca. Yeah, uh, definitely. It was uh, hepatitis played a big factor. Then came, I believe it was the ankle injury. Uh, with the infamous brawl, uh, <laughs> the the ones you still see footage of, which is still incredible to to watch to this day, and you know he he admitted it himself. Uh, with everything going on wrong at the club, because it was you know the club was not doing that well even even back then. Uh, it was a roller coaster of a ride. He said his his personal demons started at Barcelona. He admitted it himself. He said I started doing cocaine. I started playing with drugs during my time at Barcelona and that's when everything kind of you know that's when everything fell apart right the club isn't doing well hepatitis injury drugs alcohol it was a recipe for disaster um, despite like you said the standing ovation at the Santiago Bernabeu and, and, and everything and he wasn't a bad player at Barcelona by any means he was very very a very good player you could go on YouTube or you could watch the matches and and see he had some dominant performances but it felt like the right player at the wrong time you know if, if you drop that maradona team let's say in the dream team that you know in the dream team in the early 90s that's when you probably get maradona absolutely incredible you know even in night even the 1982 1983 version of maradona if you put him in that dream team uh, that johan Cruyff dream team in the early 90s you'll probably get something you've never seen before in your life but I think it was a case of right player, wrong time. And then obviously when he went to Napoli, it was just a perfect fit. Or, you know, it looked like a perfect fit up until, you know, the, the, the drugs and the alcohol resurfaced once more. But on the pitch, Maradona with Barcelona was far from a disaster, at least at, at, at the start. Yeah, and you don't tell the story of the end of his Barcelona career without mentioning, it's incredible the names that you have to mention here. It's Antony Goyexca, former athletic club, I guess they great. And then as well as the Spanish king, Juan Carlos, and then Barcelona president, Josep Luis Nunez. All of these figures culminating in basically this final day. So as, as we were saying, that broken ankle that he gets in a Liga game at the Camp Nou in September of 83, so his final season at the club, that tackle is landed by Goyexca. And it winds up almost threatening his entire career, but he's able to get through it and come back on the field. So then at the final of the 1984 Copa del Rey against Athletic Club, as I said, they were one of the, they were having their glory years of the time in the 1980s. It was a glory time for Basque football, both Real Sociedad as well as Athletic Club from the 70s into the 80s. But it all kind of, in a Barcelona one nothing loss, it, it's been building, it's been building between these two. The rivalry, the rivalry was real. And then another tackle by Goyetska is landed on Maradona. He winds up basically limping through the rest of the match. And apparently, as is reported in the match report, that he was there was a ton of racist insults that were thrown his way, uh, xenophobic insults thrown his way as well. And then Miguel Sola, another player for Athletic Club, winds up provoking him to the point where 
that devil on Maradona's shoulder just kind of says, hey, we need to be a little louder here. And so when you watch the, the footage, you just see that it's you just see that it winds up being a brawl and it winds up being an ugly thing. Because if you look at anything in England in the 1980s, you're talking Chelsea, you're talking Millwall, and you're talking a lot of violence as well and the hooliganism of English football at the time. So the 1980s was an interesting time for football all around. But why this was such a big deal is you think about the Spanish dictatorship that had just ended a few years prior in Spain. And you have this team that represents the Basque country and this team that represents Catalonia. And uh, obviously these two forces that have been pushing against Franco the entire time the dictatorship existed. So obviously the Copa del Rey, the cup of the king, once again, as the name Generalidad was taken off it. So King Juan Carlos is in attendance, 100,000 people, and it's half of Spain watching on TV when this explosion between, we'll say, two of your rowdier regions in Spain wind up having a problem. And so Maradona winds up being the center figure in all of that. And so that winds up not only being his final day with Barcelona, his final match with Barcelona, 60 people are injured as well. There are objects thrown everywhere, and it pretty much seals Maradona's end at the club because it wasn't just that. I mean, off the field as well, he had a number of different issues with Josep Luis Nunez, the president at Barcelona. And as we saw in the later part of the 80s, prior to the Dream Team really coming into their own, that uh, Josep Luis Nunez was known for some of the rows he had with players throughout time. So that winds up sealing Maradona's fate. He's transferred to Napoli for another world record fee of 6.9 million euros then that summer. So uh, Maradona, uh, to sum up his Barcelona career, it was as it always was. There was magic. He comes in with a lot of fanfare, and he could be Maradona. And then the way he ends is the way he ended so many stops, both in his playing career and his managerial career. It ends with a, a glorious bang, as Maradona always did. Yeah, it's um, it's Maradona in a nutshell, right? You asked me earlier, oh, you know, what does Maradona represent or whatnot? Well, everything you just described <laughs> during his time at Barcelona is is it's as if it happened everywhere he went. You know what I mean? He went to Napoli and it was great and it was a fantastic love story that ended kind of, you know, sour, with a sour taste. Argentina national team, left out of the 1978 World Cup, had, I won't say a disaster, but probably not his best showing in 1982. He got red carded. And then 86, wins the World Cup. 1990, leads him to the final. 94, uh, fails a drug test. You know, it's like everything with Maradona, no matter the team or the country he played for, you had the highest of highs and then you had the lowest of lows. And it's what made Maradona. It's what made Maradona. It was never a dull moment with him. And that continued on even after he retired. You know, he would still make the news somehow. Uh, and as a manager with Argentina or in Mexico or, you know, in the Gulf, or, it, it was never a dull moment with him at all by any means and uh, it was Maradona it was Diego Armando Maradona so Roy as we wrap up this speaking about Maradona and before we shift to talking about FC Barcelona in this past week what would you recommend for as you kind of mentioned for everything that is made about Maradona some of it is a bunch of nonsense and I think he himself didn't really care what was true and what was false it was just all the legacy and the story and the legend of Maradona. But what have you seen in terms of media that you would ad- advise our listeners to seek out to get? Uh, what is your best picture of Maradona? My best picture of Maradona is someone that fought his personal demons publicly, um, yet 
was still able to bring so much joy to millions around the world, even after his retirement. It was very sad to see because, and I'm talking even recently, but you would see him on TV and he would need help. He would need help. Or years ago, you'd see him on TV and he'd pretty much, you know, directly or indirectly say, I'm not doing well. Pray for me. And when you see someone that, you know, I'll, I'll compare him, I guess, to, to Michael Jordan because, uh, and I'll, I'll put Messi aside for a second, but I don't think anyone really ever dominated a sport on the on the pitch or on the court at, and off the pitch or off the court the same way that those two athletes did. You know, Maradona is, is, you go anywhere in the world. I don't care the continent. I don't care the country. You say Diego Maradona, people will know who he is. It's the same thing with Michael Jordan, right? And you can't, how, how can I put this? And obviously Jordan didn't have his off-the-court problems, you know, the same way as Maradona did. But imagine seeing someone like Michael Jordan who is considered by many to be the best basketball player of all time. And then you see someone like Michael Jordan just talking in an interview saying, I'm not doing well. And then you see him, you see him sorry, and he's slurring his words or he looks intoxicated, or he just he doesn't look well, and he's saying, you know, pray for me or something like that. You know, how would you feel as a basketball player, sorry, as a basketball fan, if you saw someone that you know was your idol or someone that you just enjoyed watching, just brought you joy, even for one minute, for one match, and you saw him, and you saw him larger than life, and then you saw him fighting his personal demons. But then back on the court, You'd see him and he'd just dominate and he'd just bring you so much joy. That's what Maradona was, you know, for, for those listeners that probably don't have an idea of the impact that Maradona had on, I won't just say my life, but millions, literally millions of lives around the world. It's that, you know, so if you're on Twitter, if you're on Facebook or social media or any news outlet or news media coverage, whatever it is, and you're reading about Maradona, you'll probably read some things that will make you say, wow. You know, off the pitch, this guy probably wasn't the nicest person in the world. And was he the, the nicest person in the world? Probably not, you know. But like I said, everyone has their demons. And the thing with Maradona was because he was larger than life, every little thing that he did, good or bad, was put under a microscope. And unfortunately, we live in a society, we live in a world where the negative constantly outweighs the positive. And... Maradona for me was, I won't say a flawed genius, because on the pitch he was not flawed. He was an absolute genius with personal demons off the pitch. And for me, I'd like to remember Maradona as someone that brought me a lot of joy and and needed a lot of help off the pitch. Yeah, Roy, I think that's a wonderful way to sum up who was and what will be the legacy of Diego Maradona. So I, I don't want to add any more words and I'm not going to give you some cheesy transition as well because we are going to pivot now to talking about FC Barcelona on the pitch at the moment. So we have a bunch of questions. It was They were from listeners and they were from Patreon as well. So I do want to apologize to our patrons and listeners that those questions are going to be hit next week with Frances or the week after. We will get to them and a lot of those ideas will continue. So never fear and the elections as well. They are in the near future. But I just want to end this show by... Rory, in the last week, we have seen two different Barcelonas. We saw the one against Atletico Madrid, which, as we know, is top 15 club in the world talent, Atletico Madrid, beating Barcelona 1-0. A lot of issues all over the field. And then 
a different, a very, very, very different Barcelona team. Basically, the bench players head to Ukraine, and then the second half put a real Barcelona-esque smacking on Dinamo Kiev, who had a lot of their starters returning, as opposed to the first matchup, which was much closer on the margins at the Camp Nou with Barca starters. So, I mean, up is down, down is up. It's real confusing. But I think the way this kind of breaks out is that there is a Barcelona that is in the Liga and there is one in the Champions League. And now I think the worry really becomes in the Liga. If Barca can't make up those points again, the fortunate thing is the schedule is getting easier on paper with Villarreal, Sevilla, Atletico Madrid, and Real Madrid already done for their first matchups of the season. And then Osasuna, Cadiz, Levante, and then league leaders Real Sociedad, then Valencia, Valladolid, Ibar, and Huesca to start the new year. So those are the next eight matches for Barcelona in La Liga, and it's now or never. Truly, it's now or never when you look at that, and there's no disrespect to any of those teams, but there's the top of the table, those the ones who contend with Champions League, and those are the ones that Barca have failed to get results against. But now if you want to get one of those Champions League spots, now is the time to make that move. Again, with only Real Sociedad and Valencia, I, I mean, not even Valencia, they're having a rough year, and they have their own problems. So Real Sociedad, who are league leaders, really being the only one in the next eight matches that Barcelona should even have, we'll say, a 10-round fight with. The rest should be all teams that you go out and take care of business against. Yeah, should be being the operative word. Uh, <laughs> like you said, we saw two completely different teams. The one that played Atletico just looked uninspired and uh, just lacked creativity and just it looked like they didn't want to be there. You know, They waited for the 90 minutes to be over and that was that. As opposed to the one we saw... You know, I guess we're recording now on on Wednesday, but the one we saw on Tuesday in the Champions League, I think the main difference was yes, obviously the players were different, the the, the core players, but it's just the fact that the younger players probably realized, well, you know what, the main squad or the main eleven players are not playing particularly well. I have nothing to lose. You know, if I give it my best shot, I might impress the coach. Coleman might you know put me in as a substitute, might even get me to start the next match, the next league match. And it just felt like a team of, you know, younger players or rejuvenated players that had something to play for, as opposed to players that just look burnt out every single week. And by burnt out, be it mentally, physically, or both. But you know, Messi, Griezmann, PK, Busquets. I'm just going to use those three or those four players. How many matches have they played in the past two years? I'm not even going to go further than that. I'm just going to say two years from the World Cup to now. It's a heck of a number. I don't, I don't I don't have it. I won't lie and pretend like I have it. But they're essentially playing every week, every single week. They're tired mentally, physically, with everything going on at the club. They've, they've had two, three different coaches in the past season. All of that obviously plays a factor. So when you give those guys a rest, or or you surround them by, we surround them, sorry, with players that are younger and have something to prove. I think you get what you got yesterday. Now, is that a recipe? That's going to work every single match? Probably not. You know, the opposition will probably be more difficult or different circumstances. But sometimes it gets to the point where you just have to start benching those bigger names. And that's on Coleman, you know. Uh, he's going to have to make the difficult choices. He's going to have to bench probably some of the bigger names, start some of the younger ones. At this point, they need to fill up the gap. They need the points to qualify for the Champions League. Forget winning La Liga. The league, winning, winning the league this season was always going to be extremely difficult uh, for many different reasons. But now it's the point of, hey, you guys better <laughs> qualify for the top four and get the Champions League or else you're looking at Europa League next season, if that. 
you know, I, I read something. Uh, it's like, yeah, Barcelona have more points in the Champions League this season than they do in the league, which is funny, but you know, sad at the same time. And unless we get something that we got, you know, similar to the 2007-2008 season, where they just kind of made the you know top four in the league, but actually played consistently well in the Champions League, unless we get that this season. It's going to be very difficult for them to to qualify for uh, for the Champions League next season, unless they go on to you know to win it all. Uh, and by all, I mean Champions League this season, which you know in reality seems very very difficult. They're going to need to get those wins, like you said. Sevilla is out of the way, Madrid is out of the way, the Atletico is out of the way. They haven't all resulted in wins or even points, but those are out of the way. Now there's no excuses. They have to get the wins, not draws, but wins uh, against uh, the teams that you just mentioned. Yeah, and I think what's going to be so interesting to see for me is that, I mean, when you give, when you see the headline that Sergio Roberto, your starting right back, is out for two months, and Gerard Piquet is out for at least four months, maybe the rest of the season, it looks like his career will continue on after this, that it wasn't that damaging, it wasn't an ACL, completely destroyed in the way that kind of hampers so many players' careers. But even PK, don't expect him for the rest of the season if you would. But I think what's going to be interesting to see is what we saw against Dinamo Kiev. That for me, Dest, obviously, I, it's, I don't need to say this. I, I'm extremely biased as well, as everyone always knows about Serginho Dest. But Serginho Dest winds up, his stock goes way up. But it didn't matter if his stock went way up or not against Dinamo Kiev because he was going to be the incumbent starter for Roberto. But I think the question that now becomes when Roberto gets back, if Dest, even 80% of what we saw against Dinamo Kiev, against La Liga competition. And I think Roberto is going to have some questions to be asked of him when he returns. And Des being able to fill that role is really important for the club. But that doesn't necessarily have to stop Roberto. That if you saw the headline that PK and Roberto are going to be out for a few months apiece, you'd think, oh no, Barca without their experience. And I think the rest of people outside of this little Barca bubble are going to say Barca are done and dusted. But in truth, Ronald Araujo is still working his way back from injury. I think what he does add as far as his speed is something that PK doesn't. He doesn't have the same experience, and certainly he doesn't talk in the back. He doesn't have that organization. So I think you might see a few more fluke goals, if you will, or a few weirder goals. They might even get caught on set pieces more often. But I think for Araujo, getting his a big look at Araujo is going to be interesting to see, and I, I, I don't expect anything in January. We'll continue to talk about that later. But then the rest of the squad... Busquets is supposed to be back soon, and that is truly, and Roy, is, as the guest, I think Frances and I have gone through it, the Busquets, Pjanic, De Jong, Alenia, Puj conversation, which is interesting to see that Puj came on as the attacking midfielder, and it was Pedri that actually moved back until Mateus Fernandez got his Barca debut. But what we saw from Carlos Alenia, where I had said Des was, a, I guess we'll say, a little soul-searching and just watching a bit of the match again, I think Carlos Alenia had a really good argument to have been the best player on the field in Ukraine. And his time has been coming for a while now. And he, we, we hear so much about Pooch, so I, I don't even think we need to get into it. I think he, yesterday, looked like he really wanted to find the ball and really wanted to find the match and impress. And he almost looked desperate to do so, which he made a few mistakes like that. The same thing with Junior Firpo. These guys don't play often. And so to expect all of these bench players who barely get a minute to come in. I mean, it's basically a preseason match for them in terms of their match fitness. So not to make excuses for them and then prop up the guys who did well. But I think, again, I, I want to give mulligans to the guys who perform in Junior Firpo and Puj and then say the likes of Alenia and then Mangueza, who on this podcast, I said, I'd never expected to see him with the first team. I just, with Barca B, I never thought he was at the level. 
But in that second half, he got rid of the nerves and looked really, really good. And to me, the Alenia, Mingueza, Puj, it goes back to this one point. And even when we mentioned Alejandro Balde potentially coming up in January from Barca B, that this is what La Masia is supposed to be. Even if you have to go out and buy those big, big signings to fulfill the squad. And Sergino Dest winds up being one of those signings that you needed to bring in because there was no right back in La Masia ready to take over that position at that level. But if you can fill in and get these spot starts and and have your bench players be La, La Masia players that don't cost the club anything, that come in and perform at a great level, I think not to say that Mingueza's performance wasn't just about him, but it winds up being a much bigger idea that Mingueza perfectly executed what La Masia is there for to bring in a player that's supposed to know the system and understand what it means to play in the first team. And for that player, and this is to your point, Roy, and I'll give you the final point after this, that for Mingueza, being in La Masia for eight years and waiting for eight years, saying, my dream is to play. Yes, it's at the camp. No, obviously, but it's in the Barca first team. So to wait eight years for that dream of playing for FC Barcelona and working your way up and being and living across the hall from La Masia your entire life, to be able to play for that club, there is a hunger and a desire that is difficult to replicate when you pluck somebody, and again, no offense to Mateus Fernandez, but when you pluck somebody from Brazil for 10 million euros as a 23-year-old where he's played in somebody else's system, it's just, it's different. It's just different when you're talking about your own player that's dreamed of playing for that club forever and ever and ever right across the hall. Definitely. And and that's, again, to go back to what you said, that's what La Masia is all about, right? It's not just knowing the system and knowing the team, but it's you grew up there. You know, it's it's your identity. And it's different from, like you said, having someone come up through the academy that knows the club, that shows that they know the club and want to perform well, as opposed to, hey, let's bring someone from South America or Asia or anywhere else and just let's just throw them in there. And, you know, that, again, that's what La Masia is all about. It's grabbing someone from the grassroots, you know, to use the, I guess, the North American term, it's from the grassroots and, and, and incorporating them into the main team. And sometimes, yes, it's not every single position that's going to be filled from a La Masia player, right? Um, look, I, I know uh, he gets a lot of stick, and, and for myself included, Sergio Roberto is not a right back. I don't care if he's been playing in that position for two, three, four years, he's not a right back. And he doesn't play as one, and that's not on him, right? I, you could only fault him so much. So to get someone like Dest from, hey, let's bring him in and put him in, great, excellent. And then if you grab someone like, let's say, Pjanic, right? 30-year-old Pjanic from Juventus, let's get him in. And then the whole world, myself included, gets mad. Oh, well, you know, why? That's going to take minutes away from from Ricky, from Alenia, from Pedri, from someone, from anyone. Okay, fine. You know what? But sometimes you get these games, you get these moments where, yeah, you'll start Pjanic or you'll bring Pjanic on as a substitute or whatever. But it's 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 the matches where you need to give Pedri a chance. You need to give Alenia a chance. You need to give uh, Ricky Poitch a chance. Because these guys, sometimes you might throw them into the fire and they might not, right? Um, they have been performing well. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking on any on any one of them. But sometimes you have to get that experience from a pianist or anyone else. Hey, let's just see how it goes, and they'll help out the younger players. And sometimes you just say, you know what, the heck of it. Let's throw in these young players from La Masia and see what they could do. And that's what Coleman did yesterday, and it worked. It worked. Is it going to work every single time? No, they don't. You know, they don't have the experience. Probably, let's say, as someone of a Pjanic or, or a Busquets or someone, but. It's by playing these matches and making mistakes and growing and learning 
that could only benefit the club moving forward as opposed to just having players from La Masia, not using them or using them very, very sparringly and then continually buying players from, uh, you know, from the outside. And I think they have to find a balance uh, to make that work. And hopefully they do because the talent is there. It just needs to be used properly. Yep, for sure. We're getting to that point with Komen and his time at Barca where the whole thing was if a new president came in and didn't and wanted his own guy, the Komen would be replaced, even if he had done well. But, well, he hasn't been doing too great in... And not to say he didn't have almost an impossible job when he first took the job, but uh, he's going to have to do whatever he can to change results. And against that more difficult opposition in La Liga, uh, results didn't come, and now it looks bad, and they put themselves in a tough spot. But now for the next few weeks... You got to take care of business, and if he struggles against the likes of Osasuna and Levante and Valladolid and Ibar and Huesca, who are all down the table, that's going to look much, much worse. And it's certainly going to be make that conversation that we have in January when a new board does come in. It'll complicate that conversation as well. So, Roy, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this day. Again, it wasn't the greatest circumstances, but I, if I had anyone to come on and talk to our listeners about the life and legacy of Diego Mardona, I'm so glad it was you. So I just want to let everybody know they can find your Twitter handle and give you a follow down in the show notes. You can also subscribe to our channel on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at D13 for me and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. That closed Facebook group, tvpod.link backslash group and Patreon, tvpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube at the Barcelona Podcast. There's match reviews and tons of other stuff over there on that channel. But again, Roy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, buddy. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, always, uh, even this time, I was going to say always fun being on here. It definitely always is. Uh, even you know, regarding the circumstances uh, of today, but always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and hopefully I'll be back uh, sooner rather than later and under better circumstances as well. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks so much to Roy and thanks to you for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon before it's the Barca.